Amen. I, I hope that you pray every day for this city, for the communities around here. I hope that you pray every day for our leadership. You may not like at any given time who is in office in an elected capacity, but, you know, uh, I'm reminded of a, a missions group that we work with out of uh, India that rescues children from the sex trade and organ harvesting. And he said, you know, the most powerful thing we can do is not take out the pimps, but see the pimps come to know Jesus. Because if the pimps will come to know Jesus, it completely disrupts the, the entire uh, network. And so what we need to be praying is not against people that we don't like or people we don't believe know Jesus, but we need to be praying that Jesus would invade their hearts, that they would come to know him. Uh, and so as, as kings and queens come to know Jesus, right, there's an, uh, there's an outflowing that happens there, right? And so I just, my, my heart is that you would daily be in prayer for uh, the, the, our communities, our neighborhoods, our city, our elected officials, uh, especially if we really want to see revival uh, break out in our nation. All right, well, if you are new here, thank you for being with us. If you're watching online for the first time, thanks for tuning in. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians, and so I'm going to ask, if you would right now, stand to your feet for the reading of the Word. Uh, we wrapped up chapter 8 last week, and we're going to be in chapter 9. I'm going to cover 27 verses today, uh, and uh, my, my, my son, one of my sons, Zoe, is always uh, asking me during the week, Dad, are you working to make sure you don't preach too long? Uh, he says, you can be really boring when you preach too long. He also told me this morning it would be helpful if I started quoting, uh, using quotes from Star Wars books uh, in my message. Uh, and so uh, I told him that um, I, I might do that. And he said, but if you do it, you've got to scream really loud. And I said, that might make people really uncomfortable. Maybe I shouldn't do that, right? So um, 27 verses. We go line by line at City Church. It's something that I'm really passionate about and we've been committed to for a while now. And so I promise I'm going to move quickly. But let's read through the text today, beginning here in verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Verse 6. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. 
Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing to these things writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for, nece- for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law." To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Father, I I just ask today that your word would resonate in our hearts. I pray that as uh, I am presenting the word, that I would be faithful to the text. Lord, um, just lead and guide this message in our hearts and in our lives. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. So, to kind of set the, the stage for what Paul is breaking down right here, I'm just going to jump back a little bit to chapter 8, verse 13. And he had summed up this thought here. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now, what Paul was referencing was he has been answering a series of questions, right? And one of the questions was, is it appropriate for uh, us to eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? And he says, look, we know that the meat that was sacrificed to idols, there's no magic voodoo do woohoo woohoo on the meat it's just meat yes you can eat it but some people believe that there is something there and when they see you eating it they become offended and then they become confused and the gospel then loses some of its potency in that individual's heart right because they are weak they don't have good understanding do you, do you know that weakness that's being referenced there and is referenced here in chapter 9 is really a, a picture of an individual who would call themselves a Christian and I'm not arguing that they're not a Christian they are 
saved by grace, but they are not a steward of the word. They don't know the teachings, right? They're not diligently diving into the word of God. Now, there's two reasons for that. One of them is, hey, I'm a new believer, and the, the Bible is a lot to take in. And then the other reason for that is I'm lazy and apathetic and complacent, and it just really doesn't matter to me, right? So you've got two types of weak Christians out there, and and Paul says that when you eat the meat that's sacrificed to idols in front of those weak brothers who are a little bit confused because they still have all of this like old religion in them, this old ways of doing things, right? You can create an offense or a stumbling block for them. And so he, he, he ends this thought by saying, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So he says, I will give this thing up in in, in an effort to help that person who is a brother in Christ. Now, continuous thought, we move forward here to chapter 9. And in older translations, they they began, they actually had these first two phrases uh, flipped. And they did that because grammatically, scholars thought, well, it makes a little bit more sense, right, for it to say, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? But, but we use the ESV, and many translations have actually corrected this over time because within its, as a statement within itself, it might grammatically make a little bit more sense. But within a fluid of thought coming from chapter 8, what Paul is saying is he is saying, am I not free, right? And he's making this insinuation that in my freedom, I can do what I want, but I will not eat meat. I will not eat this meat if it causes my brother to stumble. So this idea of not being free is, is kind of, this idea of being free, he's communicating is that one does not have to be a slave to give up one's freedoms. So not all who have given up freedoms are enslaved. Paul is saying, am I free? Yes, I am free. Is this my right? Yes, it's my right. But I give it up as if not to have access to it anymore. He goes on and he says, am I not an apostle? And this is really the, 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 this is something that Paul is wanting to jump into from a series of questions because there is this accusation predominantly coming from the Jewish leaders that want to slander Paul by denying his apostolic calling. So there is a a movement that has invaded the church uh, of people who are saying Paul is not a true apostle. And one of the major arguments that we find historically that's made is the reason that they say he's not a true apostle is because he was not one of the 12 that remained with Jesus. Now, the apostles themselves acknowledge Paul as an apostle, right? And, 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 and there's, a, there's a lot to kind of unpack in this, and maybe at a later date I'll come to it, because in the book of Acts, when they are trying to replace Judas, right, the prayer that they make of their own volition is, okay, well, we need to find somebody who was with Jesus, right? But that's, that's of their own ideas, right? They're coming up with this idea, and, and I think that that's in Scripture specifically for us, so that when God... Sh- calls Paul by his encounter with Jesus, that we can see that God is the one that calls leadership, not kind of the organization of man, right? That, that we can come up with ideas on how we find a good leader, but ultimately it's God's 
rules and God's ordination that brings forth a leader. And so there is this accusation that is being made that Paul is not an apostle, therefore he is not an authentic leader. He goes on and says, have I not seen Jesus? And I don't have time to unpack this, but when we get to 2 Corinthians in several months, uh, uh, we will hear about how Paul was caught up into the third heaven. Uh, and so that's going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Be looking for that. We'll talk about it. And then he, he kind of ends with this thing, are, are not you my workmanship. So have my labors played no part in the path you are on? So he's saying like, like, okay, there's an accusation that I'm not an apostle, but are you not saved? Are you not leading your families different? Has there not been major transformation in your life because of my labors? So yeah, I would, I would like to make the argument that, that my labors have played a huge role in the transformation that's taken place in your life. And so Paul is going to address this discreditation that's going on within the church. Verse 2, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So uh, there was this influx of new people into the church who had denied Paul's authority and then they had left, right? So the church in Corinth was experiencing all this turmoil. Remember back uh, when, when we were in chapters five and six, he's, he's addressing a lot about sexual immorality, right? And there was some pretty egregious sexual immorality and that there were members of the church who boasted in the sexual immorality, right? So Paul's bringing down the hammer saying like, this is not of God. God doesn't ordain this. He doesn't operate like this. And, and these people were not there. And, and the reason that we believe that they've left is because Paul's writing this letter. And what does he say? He says, but I know that you believe in my apostleship. So those that are still present right, are still being influenced. Those that, are, that have stuck around still believe that Paul has a role to play in their lives. And so he goes on here and says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. So this word defense in the Greek is, is like a defense in court, right? So it's not just like, hey, here's my argument or I'm trying to convince you. It's as if it, it were a legal argument that were being made. And he says, to those who would examine me, that is those that would scrutinize him. So Paul's going to pause in the middle of this, this declaration that, uh, you know, hey, you can eat the meat and you won't be in sin, but if you cause your brother to stumble, you will have sinned against Christ. So I choose that if it offends my brother, if it causes them to stumble, I will not eat because I am for people. But I know that there are those who say, I'm not an apostle, so I really have no voice in it. Let me go ahead and lay a defense for why I am called by the Lord, why I am an apostle. And so Paul is willing to give up freedoms for others. Paul is aware that some deny his calling, and Paul is speaking to those that remain. He's not making his defense to the people that have jumped ship. He's not out there trying to make a debate, get on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and be like, oh, to all the haters that left, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter, right? Who's he talking to? He's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to those that have said, hey, you know what? There has been an, an a, a impact made in my life. I'm sticking this thing out. 
the church in Corinth matters. And, and here's just something to consider, and I've mentioned this before, uh, something that's so radically different about our society today from then is that we, we have a lot of church hopping, right? We have a lot of people who just become disgruntled or, or, or whatever. And I'm not saying that there's never a reason, right, for a transition within the church or for you to make a transition. But there are a lot of people who the pastor gets up on Sunday and says something that they don't agree with, and they might be quoting a verse, right? And they're thinking to themselves, I don't count that verse as being authoritative, right? And then they begin to murmur and create discord within the church. And then the next thing you know, what's happening is that they are running to the church down the street. In Corinth, as far as we know, at this point in time, it's the only church. So the people that left, they didn't just leave and go to another church. They were just saying, I don't want anything to do with this. So there's a, there's a real divide that's taking place. We experience these divides within the church from time to time, but this divide is one that has people abandoning the faith or becoming uh, kind of like pilgrims, right? Because he talks about the fact that there are other evangelists, right, that are traveling around and you're listening to, to this person's teaching. So all of a sudden, it's like this, this, uh, this idea of like, well, whenever they come into town, I'm going to go listen, right? Whenever that person's preaching, that's when I'm going to go listen. And, and they're not being committed to the, to the church. And so Paul says, let me make a defense real quick about the authority that God has bestowed upon me. So he says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Now, why does he make this argument? Well, because there was a really faithful understanding among the church that those who were called by God were to be taken care of, right? The responsibility of studying the word, being in the word, presenting the word, ministering to the needs of people, it limited the amount of time that they had to do other things. This was an issue in the early church. If we go back to the book of Acts, right, they became so overwhelmed in ministering to even just the needs of people that they were not having enough time to dedicate to prayer and the study of the word for preaching. And so that was the, the whole reason we see the birth of the deacons within the church, because there just needed to be help in the daily ministry. And so they understood that daily ministry, it really is, it really takes a lot out of an individual, right? To be available, to be ready to answer the phone when somebody's calling, to be ready to show up at the hospital at three o'clock in the morning when there's been an accident. And so there was not much debate. You need to make sure you're taking care of those who are your leaders in ministry. But if they are discounted as being a leader in ministry, then you would not have a need, a responsibility to, to take care of them and to help them. And he says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to be taken care of? Because we're doing the ministry. So should we not be able to eat? Should we not be able to drink? This word right in the uh, Greek is privilege as in freedom right? And, and the reason I, I bring that up is I think about like our Bill of Rights. This is, do I not have this privilege because it is a God-given birth freedom in my life? This is, this is something that should be innate to me because of my calling. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? And remember, Cephas is Peter, so he's making a reference. Nobody is denying that Peter is an apostle. You're, some people are denying that I am an apostle, that I am called by God to do what I'm doing. And he says, do, do I not have the right to be able to do the same things that some of these others are able to do? And then he says here, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? 
right? So Barnabas is the guy who is uh, ministering alongside him for a season. And, and it's, uh, it reminds me of that movie, Master of Disguise. I don't know if you've ever seen it with Dana Carvey. And they're going to the Turtle Club. And he thinks that it's actually a club for turtles. So he dresses up like a turtle and he shows up and it's like a hipster club. And they're like, you're not coming in here. And he's like, am I not turtly enough for the turtle club? Right. It's almost like Paul's going, you know, am I not turtly enough for the turtle club? Like, like I'm not good enough to get in. Right. So what exactly then are your demands for ministers? And I think this is a really relevant question for us today. What exactly is it that we expect from our church leaders? Right. Now, I think that one of the things that we should expect from our church leaders is that they love the Lord God with all their heart, that they meet the qualifications, the spiritual qualifications of an elder, right? Uh, some of that just gets thrown, tossed to the wind, right? A lot of people don't even, don't even know what the spiritual qualifications are, right? Uh, and I'm not going to unpack it right now. That's a sermon within itself. But, but our church leaders, they should meet these qualifications, right? There should be a real sense of dedication to the word, dedication to the ministering of the word. And, 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 and then we should not always expect those people who are ministers in our lives to, to, if they really are serving the Lord, to always say things that we want to hear, right? And, and this is problematic within our society. And I, I really want to just kind of hone in. I, I'm not going to speak to what's happening in other parts of the world, but they're, they're problematic for us right now is that we want to believe that we're good people and that we're right. And so instead of trying to find somebody who, who or find a, a, a way to be a better person, a lot of times we're just looking for somebody to go, man, I champion everything that you're about, man. I love, I want to like every Instagram post, every TikTok moment. When you're on Facebook, man, you, you just shine, right? And you never do anything wrong. And, and, and the reality is that if that's the case, then, you know, regardless of your age, it's kind of like you've peaked. Like, you're the, this is it. Like, this is as good as it gets. Now, go home and think about that. Is life right now as good as it gets, or do you have hopes and dreams that it will get better? How does it get better? It gets better through refinement, right? Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to, to, to say here, and this is part of the problem with preaching messages like this, because it sounds like Pastor Jim saying, well, you just need to trust whatever Pastor Jim says. Remove me from the equation for a moment, okay? I'm talking about spiritual authority in general, right? That God does lead and ordain men and women of God to pour into our lives, right? So when we identify spiritual leaders in our lives who are faithful to that calling, right, then we should allow them to be able to have some vestige in pouring into our lives. Now, what should we do? We should go home and test these things. We should see if they're true. We should be able to identify false teachers, false prophets. They exist. It is a reality. And there are plenty of people who love the Lord and then fall away from the Lord, right? I'm not getting into eternal security and all here. I'll just use Judas as an example, right? Judas is called to be one of the 12 and something happens in his heart to where he betrays Jesus, right? So, so this can happen in the lives of people who are leaders. Paul is saying that you have, no, you have no evidence of that, right? Nothing but good fruit is coming out of Paul's life. And Paul says, like, 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 what is it that you would expect from me that makes me somehow less of a leader or le have less of a calling on my life than those that you are accepting right now? Verse 7, who serves as a, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, right? Who joins the military, right? And, 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 and part of joining the military is that the military gets a signing bonus, right? Hey, you're going to join the military and you've got to provide all of your own gear, 
right? Go get a job, work really hard so that you can get your vests and your guns and your night vision. And, I, you know, uh, you know, 1% of you have got to bring your own drone with you, right? Whatever it is, right? No, nobody expects that. When, when you go to join the military, you expect to get the signing bonus yourself and for all of your needs to be met. He says here, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? I mean, could you imagine owning a vineyard and never tasting any of the grapes, right? Walking around and you see your, you see, you know, your family's out there and it's like, whoa, 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 we don't sample the product, right? Like it's cocaine or something, you know? Like, like that's not the case, right? I mean, when the kids are out playing, if you own the vineyard and they want to eat a grape, they just go and grab a grape off of it, right? Because there's an expectation that you worked the land, so you're going to get to reap some of the benefits from it. Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? I mean, this is innate. This is common sense. I don't have to do a lot to to help you understand this, but let's bring it a little bit more spiritual for a moment. What about a church leader, right? Is there nothing for them there except to constantly be accosted and constantly be told, well, they're not really a man or woman of God. They don't really know the Lord, right? Verse 8, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? So this is what he says is he goes, I love this about Paul. I say this all the time. He's always thinking about their argument, right? You probably are sitting here going right now like, well, that's an easy thing for Paul to say, right? I mean, but Paul says, am I saying this of my own accord? No, the law already says this. This is already written in scripture. He goes here in verse nine, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? So when he says not to muzzle the ox, is it because God is so concerned for the ox? Or is it somehow of benefit to the people who are working the ox? This picture for us is, a, is, is on a space of hard ground called a threshing floor. The oxen were driven to and fro over the corn collected there, and thus the separation of the grain from the husk was accomplished. So the ox is doing the really hard work of separating the husk from the corn. And he's, he says that, that wh- who's benefiting from that? Well, sure, maybe the ox will eat some of the corn, but who is really getting the, the benefit from it? It is being shared by all who are involved. And so a, a Jewish view of the law was that it was given so that in the menial tasks of the day, we would draw insight into the life God wants for us. And so a lot of times in the law, there would be these things that it was like, and and when you do this, this is how you do it, right? And it wasn't simply so that like, okay, well, you know, you've got to hop on one leg and uh, have your finger on your nose the whole time you're doing it. It was so that while you were doing it, right, you would think, why would God want this? What is the benefit of it? And this is what the Jews believed. They believed that all these like abstract laws weren't just simply a way to live, right? Well, just do it this way. But they were to be a, an, an, a reflection of what God was doing in us and how God was providing for us and how we worked in harmony with the world around us. Verse 10, does he not certainly speak for our sake, right? Is the ox not being muzzled? Is that not, is it not for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Like it's in a, this makes sense to us. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap 
material things from you. So he says, if we have made an investment in your life, is it too much to ask that we are taken care of? Now watch what he does here in verse 12. If others share this rightful claim on you, do we, do not we even more? And when you're looking in your text, you'll find that verse 12 oftentimes is separated into two parts, right? There'll be a space in between because it's like there's a pause in the writing. He says, so if, if, I, if we are not the only spiritual leaders in your life, that there are others, right? right? Have, we, have we not played an even larger role? Do we not deserve even more? Pause, think about that for a moment. And then he says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. This is what he says. It's probably the same thing you're thinking right now is he goes, he goes, I have just laid out an argument for you that is beyond me. It's within scripture. It's really not debatable, but I know that many of you don't want to hear it. And because of that, I don't, I don't teach it. I don't demand it. I don't come along saying, you had better meet my needs. Instead, what does he say? He says, just like the brother who is weak when it comes to the meat, those who are weak when it comes to investing financially of your resources into the kingdom of heaven, just as God has invested in you, he says, I just don't push on it. Why? Because I would rather endure anything than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And when we were getting ready to plant the church, so we came and we lived here for a whole year beforehand, and we would go around and we would just go into different parts of the city, and whenever people were gathered around, we'd walk up, introduce ourselves, and we had a series of questions uh, that we would ask. And one of those questions is, you know, do you actively attend church? No. Do you believe in God? Yes. Why do you not attend church? And the number one answer that we got in this city was this, because the church is always asking for money. So it became apparent to us that talking about money was an obstacle in the minds of people for the gospel to be presented here in this city. Why is that? Well, clearly there are those that abuse that right. There are pastors and church leaders that abuse that, you know, and I'm going to be honest with you. Like, like when somebody has got one plane that they already have access to to fly around the world to share the gospel, but they need the newest and greatest you know, and they're doing a capital campaign for it. Like, I'm with you. I have problems with that. I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, millions and millions of dollars for another plane seems a little bit wasteful on a kingdom level, right? And so what did we do? Well, we decided to be a church that believes in giving. I'm going to tell you right now, none of this happens if people don't financially give. That's just a reality of the situation. And if the finances cease to flow, then the power might go off one Sunday, or we might have to have church in the parking lot. We've done that before, right? We believe in giving, but we've never passed an offering plate. And we don't pass an offering plate. Why? Because it is an obstacle in the minds of so many people. To talk about money, oh my goodness, here they go. We have a box located by the door. We have a way to give online. And thank you to those of you who do. You financially support the ministry here. Paul says, I'm just not willing for anything to become an obstacle. He says, do we have a right to it? Is that laid out in Scripture? Absolutely it is. But I am not personally going to allow it to be an obstacle that presents the gospel from being presented. And I'm just telling you right here, this is full stop. He could have, he could have ended the thought. He could have he laid his argument out. And, and I, I think hopefully right now if you're paying attention, you're going, yeah, he did. Like that makes sense. I get what he's saying. 
but kind of like any good infomercial, there's more, right? You know, you're watching the guy, but wait, if you act now, there's more. He says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? He says, in case you just haven't gotten it, let's get a little bit more spiritual. We'll move away from the vineyards, right? And the, and the cocaine manufacturing and we'll move over here to the church. We already know these things. We already know these things. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Why? Because there's a cost to living. Just like there's a cost to, to, to paying your bills, there's a cost for the ministers of the gospel to pay their bills as well. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. He says, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than to have anybody deprive me from my ground, of the ground for boasting. To be able to say to you that the gospel is more important, right? And immediately he knows, oh, but my critics are coming. So he, he's always adjusting, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. So I, my, I could boast now in the gospel, but the gospel prevents me from boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So I don't just preach the gospel and I don't just make sacrifices for the gospel so that I can tell you, look at me. He says, I do it because woe to me if I do not. Because I know Jesus and because I have a calling on my life, you don't have to accept that I'm an apostle, but I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna keep preaching the gospel. I'm gonna keep going after it. He says, I will not let the lies and manipulations of those around me claim any territory that would show my efforts, that, that, would, show my, that would slow my efforts to preach the gospel. You're not going to take anything from me when it comes to my efforts to preach the gospel. You can walk out the door and you can, and this is really the mark of, the, of why Paul is called to be an apostle, right? So many pastors, so many church leaders, somebody gets upset with them and what do they do? They fall apart, they disappear, you know, woe is me. And Paul says, man, I, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. You may not like it and I may not get every translation little effort correct. I'm going to just throw myself into the puzzle here for a moment, but I'm not going to stop. Because my calling is not contingent on somebody giving me love and adoration. Like everybody patting me on the back and saying way to go every single week is not what determines whether or not I preach the gospel. I preach the gospel because it's a calling on my life. Verse 17, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. So he's, he's making it very clear that there are two types of people who preach the gospel. Some choose to live for the gospel. Some people just meet Jesus. They fall in love with Jesus. And there's not like some heavy call moment in their life where God's like, you are coming to preach the gospel, right? But they just want to, and they love the Lord, and they go and they preach the gospel. But then there are those who have an encounter with Jesus, and they've already got a different career path, a different trajectory for life, and everything gets shifted over. And we hear the testimonies of people like that, people who are hungry because they just love Jesus, and then there are those that have a radical call on their lives. I'm, I'm the first. 
right? I remember being a young kid riding home from church with my dad, and he asked me what, what was going on in, in, in church today, in children's church. And I was like, well, they told me that uh, there's this guy named Jesus, and he lives inside of me, and I'm not really sure what that means because I don't know how anything could survive in there. Like, I was logically thinking through this, and so my dad unpacked the gospel for me, and on the way home, we lived 30 minutes from the church. We pulled into the gravel parking lot of this little bitty Baptist church. The parking lot and the church building were, were, were smaller than this entire room, and we pulled into that little gravel parking lot. I know right where it is to this day, and I'm like five years old, asked the Lord into my heart, and I from that day, I always had the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all the time, but every time that I in my life began a little bit of rebellion, I'd have conviction and come back, and I just was the goody-goody two-shoes. In high school, they called me Bible thumper and made fun of me because I would show up early to school and pray outside. It doesn't make me better than anybody else, right? I just loved the Lord and wanted to be engaged in the church and a part of preaching the gospel. So it was just a natural thing in my life to marry the most beautiful woman I could find that was willing to go preach the gospel and start a church, right? And yes, there were moments in my life where God spoke very clearly about what we were to do next, but it wasn't like I was a plumber on a ladder and God said, get off this ladder and go preach the gospel. God does that, right? And Paul's making this reference. He says, you're going to hear both testimonies. He says, so what then is my reward? Why? Because he knows I'm the second. I was out there hunting down Christians. I wanted nothing to do with this Jesus thing. And I'm on my way actually to go and take down some of these believers. And I have an encounter with Jesus on the road. And Jesus says, you're wrong. You've been wrong. It's time to get right. And you're going to live the rest of your life preaching the gospel, right? So there's two types out there. He says, so then what is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. What is his reward? His reward is that I preach the gospel free of charge. You don't want to invest in the ministry? Don't invest in the ministry. I'm still gonna preach the gospel. I am free to preach the word of God, but not all are. And sometimes churches can get this really messed up. And they get this messed up, and sometimes it's because they are more religious, and sometimes it's because they are more secular. And they will put undue influence on their pastors. And, and, and thankfully, I've never been a part of a church really like this, but I have friends who have been a part of churches like this. Churches tend to be very established they go through a vetting process to bring in a new pastor, and there is some board behind the scenes that pulls the strings and tells the pastor, you know, well, maybe you'll preach on this, and maybe you won't preach on that. And you think to yourself, like, that's kind of crazy town, right? But it exists. And sometimes it's something around an idea like drinking, right? And a really religious church will say, hey, listen, you're, we're not going to tolerate any alcohol use right? The problem is that you're going to have a really hard time scripturally backing that up. And the church has been guilty of teaching that if you have a drink, you're going to hell. I remember being a kid. I say this all the time, sitting in a Ruby Tuesdays with my parents and the guy at the table next to us ordered a beer and I saw them bringing it out on a little thing. And I thought, oh, that's a person going to hell, right? I mean, crazy, crazy, right? And somehow there's this, this mindset. You're going to have a hard time with that. I know a guy who his church came to him and said, hey, listen, uh, 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 they said, if you talk about abortion one more time, you're fired. 
You mention right to life again from the platform, you are fired. And you know what? That, that, they call it the Streisand effect, right? The thing that you don't want to happen, the thing you're putting your foot down about is the very thing then that just can't be contained. And that Sunday, he talked about abortion. And you want me to tell you what happened? He was fired on the spot, walked out of the church. Walked out of the church. And it's with this, it's with this that some are free to preach the gospel and they're not bound to, to whether or not those people in their life are meeting all their needs or not. Paul, there's plenty. He has been able to make tents, so he'll go and work on the side if that's what it takes. He's not going to allow some type of church leadership then to dictate whether or not he preaches the gospel and he rests his defense. This is, the, this is, this is who I am. Some of you are going to argue that when I say I don't eat meat because I, I, I won't eat meat if it causes my brother to stumble, that it doesn't matter what Paul says because he's not a real leader. I don't care if you think I'm a real spiritual leader or not. I'm doing this because I'm all about people. I'm all about the gospel getting to people. And he goes on with this and he says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. What does he say? He says, I'm free to do all these things, but, but I, am, I am free, but I am a servant. I have not been made a servant by any master. I have made myself a servant because of my love for the gospel. I have done this to myself. I am not going to do things that cause my brothers and sisters to stumble. So if they're weak in their mindset when it comes to money, just like when it comes to those that are eating meat sacrificed to idols, if it's going to cause a big uproar, right, then I am going to refrain. Do I have the right to? Yeah, I have the right to get up and make demands, and I have the right to say this. I have the right to eat that, but I'm not going to. And yeah, you know what? At times, it can feel a little restricted, but I do it because I want to do it. Verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Now, Paul does a beautiful thing here because he gets the fact that a lot of minds are going to start going, well, then, you know, Pastor Jim, like if what the society needs is for you to do this thing or that thing, even though it doesn't line up with the, with the scriptures, maybe we should just do it for the sake of the gospel. And he says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. He says, like, I'll, I'll do what I need to do to come over to this group of people and minister the gospel and not be a stumbling block, but I'm not escaping the law of Christ. Like, I'm not giving up and doing something that's immoral, right, so that the gospel can be spread. That, 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 that's not something that I'm going to do, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. This verse right here is the one verse that gets plastered out there by people saying, well, I'll be all things to all people, right? It becomes the justification for being a drunk in the bar because, well, you know, at least I'm going to share the gospel with that person, but you are outside the law of Christ, and so Paul makes this caveat, but we love to anchor it in here. And the real thing that we should be anchoring on after we understand that he is not talking about things that are immoral, after we answer the question, do I eat the meat, do I not eat the meat, 
we answer the question, do I care about my brothers? Because that's really what it's about. Do I eat the meat? Do I not eat the meat? Do I talk about money? Do I not talk about money? Do I care about people? And this is the anchor right here. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. I do it all. So outside of the church, when it comes to this meat, if it's going to cause somebody to stumble, I just won't eat the meat. And within the church, if talking about money is going to create this big chaos where nobody wants to hear the gospel, I just won't talk about money, right? I'm not going to cross a moral line and go out there and participate in sin because then I wouldn't really be preaching the gospel. I'd be creating my own cult. But I'm going to be bound to the gospel. Why? Because I want those around me to share in its blessings. So what is the sake of the gospel? This is one of those things that I I keep seeing pop up online. People keep asking the questions, right? Because Jesus says that he came to proclaim the gospel. And so they go, well, if the gospel is just, you know, Jesus died on the cross. Well, Jesus hadn't died on the cross. So when Jesus says this, then the gospel really doesn't matter. And this becomes the argument. And you guys hear me. I'm pretty hard against the progressive church, progressive theology right now. Like this becomes one of the things, like this is why the Bible isn't authoritative and it was made up by man because Jesus talking. No, 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 you're not understanding. The gospel isn't about the cross. It's about people. The gospel is about you and me, my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, my neighbors. The gospel is about being what is needed to connect them to Jesus that they might be saved. So Jesus easily came in to preach the gospel. What was it? Repent and know the Lord. The means by which you are able to know the Lord was was the debt paid on the cross. The fullness that was prophesied. It was already going to happen. So everyone in the Old Testament that's saved is saved because they were looking forward to the Messiah who was going to come and pay the ultimate price even though they didn't understand that. And every one of us that are saved are saved because we we looked back to the cross. Because it's all about people. It's not about me. It's not about me. This is hard. I'm going to say this is hard for me. I don't know if it's hard for you, but it's hard for me. When people come and attack me and they say things about me that are not true, right? And then they gather together in homes and, and, and then they, they say things that are not true. Like, this is hard. I have to be reminded myself it really isn't about me, Right? And what's, what's happening in that moment isn't even about me. It's a spiritual thing that's happening. It is a lie that is a, a work of, a, of, of the deceiver in the lives of other people, right? It is confusion. It is flesh. It is humanity. It's not about me. So how can I be more humble and how can I be more faithful to the gospel so that maybe some of them who were hurt, some of them who were weak, would be able to come back to the gospel. I had a, um, I have a real heart for this. When, I, when we started the church, we owned an AV company, uh, uh, and I would go around installing sound systems, and, and, and I did this TVs in homes and in, in buildings, and there was a church that I did a install for, and uh, they were not able to pay their bill, and it was $30,000. That's a lot of money, right? And uh, everybody in my life was saying, you need to take them to court. You need to take them to court. You need to take them to court. And I, I, I had these long conversations with my wife because obviously this greatly impacted our finances. Um, 
And I, I ultimately came to the conclusion, and we did this together, that we weren't going to do that, that we were just going to take it on the nose. And the reason was because um, I had been a part of a church um, as a child in, in my, my uh, family where my mom and dad got really hurt in church. And that hurt has always been a part of the dining room table conversation, right? So 30 years later, and that conversation still comes up, that hurt, right? From, from a pastor doing something that was wrong, not taking responsibility for it. Like there's a whole unpacking inside of there because I do think that pastors can do things that are wrong, take responsibility for it. They can be restored, right? We're just talking about like a whole downward spiral of name calling and all this, right? And, and I just decided, we decided what we did not want to do is we did not want to create an environment where people in that church for the next 30 years and their kids sat around their dining room tables talking about what happened and their pastor's involvement, and the community's involvement, and the shame and embarrassment that came with it. Now, I'm going to tell you that, and, and, you know, I'm really hesitant in my, like, you can't outgive God, you can't outdo God kind of theology. Like, I don't, like, jump out inside of that because, you know, I was in a different church service where they asked everybody to raise their hand if they had a Rolex on their arm, and then they told everybody who didn't raise their hand that they were in sin, and uh, they needed to find Jesus. And so, so like, like, I don't go into that uh, level of what's going on, but I'll tell you that, you know, we're talking over a decade later, and God has way beyond restored and provided beyond that, you know? Um, when we talk about, let me just give a little testimony, and I'm going to wrap up Zoe, I promise, okay? I see him down here. He's looking at me like, listen, let me give you a testimony, right? Like, like when we talk about things like the roof that needs to be repaired, right? We're going to spend $12,000 on the roof, and we do make that known because we want you guys to be invested in the building. This building, this facility was bought, paid for, remodeled and everything, and given to us, over a million dollars just given to this church. We don't have a monthly mortgage payment, right? I can tell you if we had a monthly mortgage payment, we wouldn't have the staff that we have, right? Favor of God. I'm just going to tell you, I believe it's the favor of God in my life, on our lives, because of decisions like that. Because the gospel to be known is more important, right? Because it is more important that a family is not sitting around bad-mouthing the church because of some right that I had to some finances, right? Because it's not about me. It's not about me. It's got to be about him or, or it doesn't matter. And you'll see through that. You'll see through that and it won't impact you. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it, right? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable, right? I mean, this, this is not something that's beyond us. Uh, athletes train relentlessly for what is temporary. I mean, we watch the, we, we, I mean, we, now that we have social media, right? I mean, YouTube, Instagram, they're filled with like, you know, fitness elites like showing their like routine and this is what I do to be the best that I can be, right? And, 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 and sometimes, right, I see those things and I'm like, please don't show me this, right? For a number of reasons. One, what they're wearing, right? I'm not, I don't want to see you like that, you know? But sometimes it's just because I'll never be that. Why will I never be that? Because I'm not willing to do that, right? Okay? 
Listen, if you're asking me if hitting the gym for two hours in the afternoon and bulking up it versus, is, is the thing versus going for a walk on the beach with my wife, you can just call me sappy and romantic, but I'm going to go for a walk on the beach with my wife, right? And I might not have a 12-pack, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm going to be walking down the beach with my wife, but I don't fault the person who is, but I do get the analogy, right? Athletes train. Why do they train? Do they train to lose, Right? Like, this is part of the problem, too, is like the reason that I don't hit the gym is because I know that even if I do it today really hard, and I'm not saying I don't hit the gym, like I want to be active, but the reason I don't hit the gym for two hours today is because I know that if I don't do it tomorrow, it doesn't matter, and if I'm not doing it in a year from now, it doesn't matter, and so am I really making that commitment, right? Am I really committing to the next of my life sports? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I love the people in my life who do. My, my oldest son is like hitting the gym sometimes three times in a day, right? And you can see the gains. It's pay, get goosh, right? There, he's, he's, he's doing it, right? And that's right. He's, he's doing it, right? I'm not faulting that. I'm, Paul's not faulting it. He's not advocating for it. He's just saying you get it, right? Athletes train. You're in a race. You're in a race to the finish line, whether it's by this life or the reestablishing of Jesus' kingdom, we're in a race. Why would you not run it to win it, right? He says, so I do not run aimlessly, right? I mean, can you imagine that, right? In track and field, the, the shot goes off and you see one person turn and run into the stands. Like, like, you'd be like, what's wrong with that person? That's not what you do. And part of the training isn't just the fitness of it, it's the competency of it, right? Stay between the white lines, get ready to hand the baton off or cross the finish line, push harder here, breathe more here, right? right? He says, so I do not run aimlessly and I do not box as one beating the air, you don't go and train to be a boxer so that you can go into the ring by yourself and just air box. Air guitar is cool. Air boxing, not so cool, right? Okay, nobody's impressed with that. Air guitar, we're all impressed by it. Air boxing, why did you spend all that time training, right? It's a difficult thing. He says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is what he says. He says, so I'm inviting you to train for the gospel. I'm inviting you to make sacrifices for the gospel, and I'm doing it myself. I'm doing it myself. And this is really the mark of why he's kind of ultimately saying, like, it doesn't matter if you call me an apostle. I know what it takes to be an apostle. I know what it takes to be called of God, and I'm going to do the things that it takes to be called of God. So what is the sake of the gospel? The sake of the gospel is people. And it's people because it's not about me. Let's stand to our feet. There are countless ways that we can present the gospel. There are countless ways that we can be prepared to help those who are weak among us, those who are stumbling among us, to know Jesus, right? Uh, we don't try to do an event every week. Uh, we try to be really consistent. One of the things that I, I heard when we were asking those questions and some of the books we were reading uh, is that people will get invited to a church, a special church service, right? And the church service will be full of whatever, pyrotechnics and 
actors and dancing, and they'll go, oh, I love this. And then they show up the next Sunday, and everyone's in robes with a hymn book, right? And they're like, well, this is not what I signed up for last week when you were doing your, you know, theatrical run of Greece in church, right? Um, we try to be really consistent. We try to do the same thing every week, right? We'll, at Christmas, do some fun stuff, you know, but we make it really, really clear to everybody that like, we try very hard to create the same environment for people week in and week out, and we don't try to chase events. Our biggest event of the year coming up is Treat Street. Uh, listen, I don't know what's going to happen, and, and we're going to try to do everything we can to be COVID safe in, the na- in, the, in our community, right? Um, it, that matters tremendously to some. It doesn't matter to others because it matters to some, right? Because it matters to some who will show up. We're going to be out there trying to, prevent, trying to create a safe environment that at the same time ministers to people. And there are a lot of kids who will show up here. And I'm telling you, I shared this a few weeks ago. One girl said when she was leaving that she didn't know this was a church and she didn't believe it was a church because there were no caskets because the only time she ever went to church is when she went to funerals, right? So we're going to be loving on our community and I wanna invite you to be a part of it. It's on a Sunday this year and we're going to be going from five to seven and who knows what'll happen? Who knows who might just have a heart softened and come to know the Lord and whether or not they show up here at church the next week or not is not why we're doing it. We're not doing it for for the community gains inside of here. We're doing it because we love people. We love people. And if a child can see that the church is different than what they thought it was, right? I I have a testimony of a young man uh, connected to this church who grew up having one idea of church. And he's not in church yet, but what he saw us, the way he saw us serving a few years ago blew his mind, right? And his family members told us, they said, they said, that wasn't what I expected a church to do. It's an opportunity to serve. It's an opportunity to put to action this idea of it being about people, figuring out how to do it, but it being about people. So I want to pray for you. Father, I just come to you right now, and we ask that you would constantly be stirring in our hearts the, 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 the need to be the gospel in our communities, in our homes, Lord, in our places of work, in the places we shop. Father, remind us, remind us to be passionate about other people in those moments when we're really thinking about ourselves. I pray for Treat Street coming up, that as we are creating an environment for children to to come together and to laugh and to celebrate, Father, we pray for your protection to be over the event, and we pray that your love would radiate throughout the place. Lord, give us wisdom as we're participating in this, as we're leading this, as we're creating this environment. Uh, and then, Lord, let there be seeds planted in lives that, that, that when we step into eternity with you, that maybe even only then we will hear the testimony of what happened there. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask these things in your mighty name. Amen.